0: Not where, who? The answer to that question will tell you all you need to know about your heart. So, let's get on it. All right, today we're in Deuteronomy chapter 34. As, as um, Daniel has already alluded to, the end of the book and the end of Moses' life. And as I was thinking and meditating on that this week, um, I was reminded as I walked through Pine Forest Cemetery for a few minutes on Thursday, that there is one thing that every tombstone has in common. It's the way that it represents the passage of time, where you go Wherever you go, no matter where it is, all are the same. No different. The time we spend on earth is always represented by a small horizontal dash. And that's it. A person could have lived one year, or like in our passage today, 120. Same small dash. James 4.14 tells us what is life. Life is a mist, a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. But when we get to the end of the story of a person's life and we start to reflect back. No matter how brief or how long a life, we begin to look back over what has transpired. There is always much more that unfolds. There is a great deal packed into that little dash. God invites us in Deuteronomy 34 to ponder Moses' dash. To discover the true beauty of a life lived in loving obedience to a loving God. So let's pray. And let's ask God to minister to us as we ponder the life of the prophet Moses. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, um, if, if we do not behold your glory, then we have gathered for no benefit. So God, we ask today that you would help us take our eyes off lesser things and fix them on the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us with unveiled faces to behold your glory so that we might be transformed. Without that vision, we will sit here and we will have our ears tickled and we will leave and nothing will happen. to behold your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So verse 7 tells us that Moses lived 120 years, a longer dash than most. However, most of what the Bible tells us about this great man happens in the context of his 80th year of life he's called at the burning bush to lead the people of egypt out of slavery to the promised land we have a story about his birth we know that he grew up in pharaoh's household as the son of pharaoh's daughter that he murdered an egyptian at the age of 40 but all that is covered in one short chapter in exodus 2 and then he spent 40 years as a shepherd was called by God to lead his people. And he did many miracles and he led the people out of slavery, out of Egypt and he gave them the law. He delivered it to the people and they rebelled. And then we know little about the 40 years he spent wandering, leading this rebellious people. He had by all accounts, a great faith in God and was radically obedient to him. However, he was not perfect. At one point in the wilderness, he dishonors God by taking actions into his own hands to provide water for the grumbling people. And the Lord said to he and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy In the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. And this is where the story picks up for us in Deuteronomy 34. Deuteronomy 34, 1 through 3. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him all of the land. So at the spry age of 120 years, Moses climbs 4,500 plus feet to the top of a mountain. It's no feeble man rolling over to die. No man that's Looking to have a quiet retirement. He's climbing mountains. Have you ever climbed a mountain? I have. Every summer. I used to take groups of teenagers on backpacking trips. And we would start in the valley of of Brevard, North Carolina. And we would go 6,200 feet to the top of Black Balsam Mountain. Brevard's about 2,200 feet in elevation, so it's about the same amount, about 4,000 plus feet. Days leading teenagers, rebellious teenagers, (laughs) through the forest. One foot in front of the other with heavy loads to bear. And when we first started, we would take young kids, so they weren't really strong, so I would have a pack. that I looked like a pack mule, clinking and clanking all the way up the mountain. Then they began to get older, and those young bucks started getting really strong and prideful, so I would just load their pack down as heavy as I could get it. <laughs> Mine would have like a sleeping bag in it. It would be big and puffy and look impressive, but weighed nothing. But it was a long, arduous climb. But the moment that you break through to the summit of a mountain after that long journey, particularly on ball-top mountains like that, where there's a panoramic view, it's always, Worth it. You get to the top and you look and you just don't have words to speak. You can't help. Even the most pagan person worships on top of a mountain like that, particularly after the journey they've been through. I think that's what Moses felt. So when Moses gets to the top of the mountain after the toil and all the pain and the long journey of leading God's people here. He looks. And God gives him a grand view. He looks to the north. He looks to the west. He turns around, looks to the south, and finally to the east. Awe and wonder must have overtaken him. This thing he had been dreaming of, this grand reward that God had promised, was right there in front of his face. His eyes must have welled up with tears. And in his heart, he must have exclaimed, we made it. see even though in verse 4 God says he will not he will give this land to Moses' offspring and that he would never go into it God does say but I let you see it this is not punishment this was pure delight this was the fruit of his obedience and his great reward. One pastor said it was a visual feast. God was giving Moses, his good and faithful servant, one last amazing blessing. Moses' faith, obedience, and humility were born out as a blessing to his offspring. Not himself. His labors and toil would be a blessing for generations to come. His reward awaited him in his eternal destination. Not his earthly one. And then, verse 5 and 6 tell us, that was it. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses died according to the word of the Lord. Everything ended for Moses, the servant of the Lord, at that moment. Exactly as God had arranged it. The sovereign God of the universe decided that Moses' mission was complete, and he called him home. What panoramic views awaited Moses? See, long before Paul penned the words of Philippians 2, 20-21... It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that will full with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Long before Paul wrote those words, Moses died at the high point of his life. Verse 7 tells us his eyes were not dimmed and his vigor was unabated. He just climbed a mountain at a hundred and twenty every time that I climbed those mountains with those teenagers, I was slap wore out and I was nowhere close to a hundred and twenty. When he died, so did all his gifts. So did all his wisdom, his experience, his personal relationship with God went with him. He didn't come down from that mountain this time. That was it. That is the life of Moses. On one side of a coin, a dash, a mist, a vapor. Flip that coin over. A massive tome to a life lived. In loving obedience to a loving God, Moses leaves in the midst of his dash a legacy of a life of faith, servanthood, obedience, humility. What was Moses' legacy? What did Moses leave behind to hand down? To his offspring. It wasn't a monument of stone. It wasn't a place of pilgrimage. No statues. Verse 6 tells us that God buried him in the valley in the land of Moab. No one even knows the place he was buried. No financial security for his offspring. They would be totally dependent on the Lord's provision in the promised land, just as they were in the wilderness. Moses' legacy was born out in the people themselves, his offspring, the next generation. They would be given all the blessings of the promised land as God had promised. Why? Because a faithful, humble servant of the Lord led them there with a belief in a greater reward. It's not to take away that God was leading them all the time, that God was their great deliverer. But there was a servant of the Lord walking in front of them, having faith when they had no faith obedient to God when they were disobedient. Moses' God-given epitaph in verse 6 is Moses the servant of the Lord. If you have nothing else on your tombstone the day you die, how about that one? The servant of the Lord. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Moses did many amazing, miraculous things. He knew the Lord face to face, but he was a man. Even though he delivered the law to the people, he was also a man who lived under the law. He was not perfect. I just had a conversation with my nine-year-old yesterday who was really despondent, and I asked him, what's going on? And he said, Dad, I just wish... I could be perfect. Don't we all? Moses got close. But he was not. He was not perfect. He was a man. man of great faith and faithfulness. But a man all the same. However... Men of faith, obedience, and humility, they leave legacies. They leave amazing legacies. Men like my grandfather. Let me tell you about the legacy of Willard J. Doyle. Born, born November 10th, 1917, died December 13th, 1984. Died at a young age of 67. But let me tell you about his dash. He was the fifth of seven children born to J.E. and Mae Doyle. They lived in a farm in Sligo Valley. That's a valley between Lookout Mountain and Sand Mountain in North Georgia, Dade County. You can't hardly find it. He, there was no electricity, no plumbing, but an amazing family of love, faith, and obedience. And no shortage of great grand stories like most mountain people. When he was in grade school, the family moved to Whitesburg, Kentucky, so that my great-grandfather could work in the coal mines. This is where Willard would first meet a young pastor named Dr. Charles Grant, God used Dr. Grant mightily in his conversion, and he became a lifelong mentor to my granddad. Willard struggled with a call to ministry, believing his brother James was a more suited candidate for such a calling. He said, however, one night he felt the persistent call so strong that it seemed as if God said to him, All right, Willard, you you must make up your mind tonight. Say yes or no. I won't ask you again. So he prayed that the Lord would be honored and glorified in him and that it just begged that he could be a pastor like Dr. Grant. Out of that little old farmhouse in Sligo Valley, Georgia, came my my great-uncle James, a World War II hero decorated with two bronze stars who settled near Chattanooga, was a businessman and a rock in his community a faithful follower of Christ. Another uncle who spent years in Russia setting up plants for DuPont in the Cold War and sharing Jesus with everyone he could get to. He had some stories, amazing stories. And my sweet little great aunt Macy, who dreamed of going to the mission field, but put her dream on hold so she could pay helped pay the way for her little brother Willard to go to college. And after he graduated, she spent many years in Kenya with the World Gospel Mission. And then there was my grandfather Willard. Had a faithful ministry that spanned 43 years. His legacy touched countless men and women that he led to Christ and ministered to faithfully. But what I am most thankful for is that he was faithful to pass his faith on to To his son, my father, John, who spent his life ministering to people in different capacities as a pastor and a counselor and a businessman. But through all of that remained faithful in raising two boys and passing his faith on to them. My brother and I now have six boys between us and are desperately trying to pass on the same faith to them. This legacy flows from a mountain farmhouse with no running water, no electricity, just a family with two faithful parents. The example and ministry of a young pastor and others we will never know. Nor will we ever know the far reaches of a life well lived. For it continues long after we are gone. Some of you have similar legacies as mine. You could write your own history. All I have to say to you is this. To whom much is given, much is required. Some of you here have no faith legacy. It starts with you. But each of us today. Has to wrestle with the question, what will our legacy be? What will be said when our children or our friends eulogize us? What legacy will we leave? Moses leaves a legacy as one of servitude, a man whom the Lord knew face to face and sent to perform great signs and wonders and miracles. His legacy was leading the people of God out of slavery to the promised land, laying his life down so that his offspring could inherit the promises and blessings of God. How about you? How about you? Are you living a life in loving obedience to a loving God? A life that is marked with face-to-face encounters with God and radical living. Are you leading the next generation to the promises of God? That's what we're called to. We're called to raise up, hand off the faith to the next generation. Verse 9 says that Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses had poured himself and his blessing into the next generation. Joshua was the proof that none of us stand on our own. We all stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, and they're faithful. Whether it was in your family or not, there are those who have in your faith family walked before you. You and I stand on the shoulders of godly men and women throughout human history to whom we all owe a great debt. Now, I'm the first one to call us to honor people who have served in the military and have protected us and have fought for us I will be the first one to do that my question to you is how do you honor those who have given their lives to protect the gospel to protect the faith to hand it to you to hand the baton to you and say run Provided for his people. He had raised up a young leader under Moses and endowed Joshua with the capacities he needed to perform the office that he was called to. Now listen, this is this is why we do life change, men's and women's ministries, internship programs, church planning residencies, missionary internships. Small group leader development. Why do you think we do all that? Just to get a great long list of things we do? No. It's to raise up the next generation so that they can take the baton and run further than we ran. To multiply ourselves into many so that they can be sent out. So that the kingdom of God grows and grows and grows. Far beyond you and I's personal network of relationships. We're all to be about that. It's not just the job of elders staff people it's the job of the church of every believer it's a Titus 2 issue older men and women are to be teaching the younger men and women Moses knew that he had that in his sights in Deuteronomy 6 when he says "Hear, O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your might And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. This obviously has a family focus. But it is commanded and given corporately to the people. So the question is, where are you? People of North Wake, where is the intentional discipleship of others in your life? How are you pouring into the next generation? We have an abundance of young families, singles, young people in this church that are begging for someone older and wiser and more experienced to come along beside them. And teach them what it means to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love and steadfastness. Teaching what is good, what it means to be a loving husband and a loving wife. This is a community project. You know, our church has been blessed with an amazing number of young people, youth and children. They are a blessing and they need mentors in the faith, someone to walk alongside them to demonstrate a life of obedience, a life of loving God and worshiping him. That's why it's mind-boggling to me why it's so hard to fill the slots out in the lobby. I need you to teach my son the same thing I'm teaching him in his home. He needs other examples of saints and men and women who have walked before him to teach him that his dad's not crazy. You see, the church's offspring Will be our legacy. Whether it be our biological children or our children in the faith, we are called to raise them up and to send them out. Now, last two, three verses of our passage today. There's not arisen a prophet. in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel now if this is the end of the story this obviously was written after Moses' death This is the end of the story. This is a very sad end for the people of God. Because Moses, the man of the law, could not save himself. But the Lord had promised in chapter 18, as we studied earlier, he would raise up another prophet like Moses. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name I myself will require it of him Moses' death leads us to wonder who that prophet might be who will To see, Jesus Christ is the one who would come. The resurrected Christ in Luke 24 said to the men on the way to Emmaus, "O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Was it not necessary for the Christ, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory, and beginning?" With Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. Peter, preaching in Acts 2, would say, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Yet, great students of the Bible, have questions Deuteronomy 21 tells us that anyone hung on a tree is under a curse if Jesus was cursed if he was sinless and did not deserve that curse then whose curse was laid upon We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This brings us directly to the center of the good news of the gospel. Jesus, the one who was to come, received the curse that I deserved for my sins and you deserved for yours. If you will only turn for them and believe in Christ, And the forgiveness he offers. You see, Moses died for his own sin. Sin brings death to us all. But the good news of the one that was greater than Moses is this. Let me read this to you from Romans 5. Just close your eyes and listen to this. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death... Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. The story of Deuteronomy is the disobedience of Israel and the call to live by the law, to live a life of loving obedience to a loving God. However, just like us, their history of sin and rebellion against God condemned them. No one has a clean story. No one. Not even Moses. We all need a Savior. We all need a righteous rescuer. His name. He came to lead his people out of slavery, the slavery of sin and darkness, and lead them into the true promised land. This day, do not walk away from him. Do not turn your heart hard toward him. yes i believe i believe you came and lived a sinless life and died on a cross and god raised you from the dead so that i might be forgiven of my sin and that i might inherit those great and glorious promises of God that I would be free from sin and alive in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, open our eyes, help us to see, help us to gaze upon the beautiful panoramic vision of your gospel. The good news Of you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. May we be your legacy, we pray in Jesus' name.